0: Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. Welcome to the third ever episode of From Mississippi with Love, a podcast about Mississippi culture, pop culture, music, books, literature, art, which is getting a soft reboot because I have not recorded an episode in a calendar year. Today, we're talking about the 2000 Coen Brothers film, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, with my special guest, Courtney Arnold, who's a medieval historian. Cohen Brothers enthusiast and connoisseur of regional culture. We sat down for a chat and I sure hope y'all enjoy it.
1: All right, I just told me you're recording the call, so...
0: Okay, yeah, the pop-up just said, avoid legal issues by telling people they're being recorded. <laughs> so don't sue me, please. <laughs> all, right, all right, well, let's hear
1: how I look on this podcast
0: first. And, Fair uh, enough. And we'll see. Okay, so today we're talking about "Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Which is probably in my top three, Coens.
1: Well, I go back and forth, but to me, it's it's certainly top two. It's between that and Big Leather. Oh. And I it depends on the day it could be one either one of them but they're they're both at the top for me
0: not to assume i'm surprised fargo isn't higher
1: i had a rocky relationship with it when i was younger because you have a lot of you know midwestern north dakota stereotypes and as a little kid i was like oh they're just making fun of us so that still <laughs> like lingers in the back of my mind when they obviously aren't and they they're from minnesota the cohens they understand the upper midwest as well as anyone. So they I, I now when I watch it I truly appreciate its beauty, but I just have such longer relationships with the other two. Uh, do you
0: think you were maybe just not used to being talked about? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was kind
1: of the only representation of this part of the country, really. Yeah. So it definitely threw me for a huge loop that well, we don't sound like that and we obviously do. We sound <laughs> comically ridiculous sometimes. Especially, like, I noticed, you know, when I moved out east and then would come back home and visit, I know that on, like, the plane ride back east, I was like, okay, I got to try and stomp this back down again. I need to get that Midwestern accent washed out of my, out of my brain. But I'm trying to think of another good North Dakota movie There really isn't one. It kind of is the North Dakota movie.
0: Yeah, and for all the, the people out there, you're from North Dakota. Yes,
1: yes. So, yeah, I'm from North Dakota. I now... Much of that movie is set in Minnesota. This is always a complicated issue as well, as that people refer to it as a North Dakota movie as I just did, but technically speaking, it's kind of a, a Minnesota movie. It's just an upper Midwest movie in, in general, I guess. Yeah. But.
0: And that's something I have always appreciated about the Coens is this ability to like adapt this kind of regionalism, which is so fun. And because they do it in Fargo, they do it like Raising Arizona. And then, obviously, your Brother Wart, though, is big for that, too. Absolutely. Because um, they really go for the, you know, like, Great Depression-era Mississippi setting, which is just so fun. And I am told accurate, because uh, oh. this, this is one of my husband's favorite movies. He's from Mississippi.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So, before we get too into it, Courtney, what is your experience with Mississippi and, like, the South?
1: So, I... Uh... Lived in the South very briefly. It was only a six-month tenure, but I lived in the city of Memphis. So right on the border of Mississippi, uh, we would go down to Mississippi all the time, hang out, go see stuff. Because for us, you know, Memphis was this was the city, and it was kind of depressing being a small-town guy in the city. It's too crowded. And going down to Mississippi was kind of like getting out of the city and getting back to the, to the country where I uh, simultaneously feel more at home and much more lost at the same time. Right. Yeah. So I've been th- as far south as Oxford, uh, not like not down to the coast or anything, but uh, you know, I've, s- I've certainly visited Mississippi, been around a bit uh, and honestly loved it. I thought it was a great place.
0: Yeah. You and I have the distinct privilege of actually having visited each other's like states. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I feel like most people have not been to either Mississippi or North Dakota.
1: Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. It's tough to, to meet someone that has been for to North Dakota, you know, outside of the Upper Midwest, right? It's not really on the way to anywhere. You're not going to pass through here even. You'd have to be coming here to to visit here. So
0: yeah, because I've I have only been because I went on a couple of camping trips whose destination was the Dakotas. Yes, you know? yeah. Otherwise,
1: yeah, why come here? You know, you're not going to get a connecting flight. You're not going to be passing through mm. the on, through North Dakota. It just it's a it's as far in the middle of nowhere as you can get as far as yeah. so. but uh mississippi is kind of the same way right you need, you sort of need to be going down to that part of the south to actually get to mississippi we, we do have that in common absolutely
0: and that's an interesting question too like is it really a southern divide or like a rural divide You know what I mean? That separates the South from other parts of the country. Because I feel like rural people have stuff in common regardless of part of the country.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that as well. I mean, my my girlfriend is from South Dakota in the rural areas. And when I go down there, it feels much more familiar than any city in North Dakota.
0: trying to think if I realized North Dakota, like, had cities.
1: (laughs) And that is not to
0: be rude. I'm not trying to... (laughs) It's
1: extremely loosely. Like, it's yeah when I say like for me a city is like over 50,000 I'm like I absolutely feel like I'm in the city Mm -hmm. I've certainly talked to many people who say they come from a small town and it's about 50,000 people so like it's a yeah these definitions are very fluid but
0: when I was visiting South Bend Indiana for my Notre Dame interview they were talking about oh South Bend small town blah 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 and i guess it's small it has skyscrapers and a gay bar i'm like it can't. it's okay if your small town has a gay bar that to me it's not a small town yeah
1: town we're talking about here it doesn't sound very small to me i'm from rural north dakota so this is extremely biased but once you're to the the four digits for your town population you're starting to move away from my idea of small town and once you get to five digits forget about it but at the same time you know i've been to many towns that have 10,000 people, 12,000 people, and they certainly do have some things in common with us. My God, 50,000 people? <laughs> I'm from a town <laughs> of 120 people. I mean, uh, there's nothing...
0: 120?
1: Yeah, 120 mm-hmm. people. Obviously very biased, but that's small town to me. It's like, you know, three digits for your town population.
0: All right, so let's get into the film. The film. Which opens in a really compelling way with kind of the, like, quote from the Odyssey. Yes. And then the chain gang... On parchment Prison, which is still a like farm style prison in Mississippi. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, it Ins- insane
1: to me. Oh my god, I can't.
0: Believe yeah, and it is. doesn't. It doesn't have air conditioning.
1: Oh, oh my god, in that part of the world.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: oh, man, with that humidity, no, thank you. My so
0: it's kind of it's kind of wild, like that. The setting both is and isn't very different from modern day Mississippi. Yeah. And I you know, obviously, because things move a little slower down there technology wise, but like parchment is still running, it's yeah. still kind of a prison farm type scenario. yeah, so anyway, like the the opening already is kind of like a strong establishment of setting, yeah, which like obviously it's probably how it should be. but the juxtaposition too of the Odyssey quote and then the prison farm is really fun.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's like classic Cohen's, right? Where they're just like this this highbrow thing and this lowbrow thing, like just mixing perfectly together.
0: Yeah, adapting the Odyssey for rural Mississippi in the thirties is really, really
1: fun. So are you familiar with their familiarity with the Odyssey? No. So I it blew my mind when I when I read about this a few years ago that neither of the Cohen brothers have read the Odyssey. They'd never read it. Really? <laughs> It just blows my mind that one, they managed to get through school without having it forced on them, as we all have to read the Odyssey at some point. But they said that film adaptations and just the sort of pop culture knowledge of the Odyssey is what got them through this adaptation.
0: Well, and I feel like they hit major touchstones that don't necessarily require an intimate knowledge of it. So like Cyclops, Sirens, suitors.
1: The, the journey you're trying to journey home this whole time like yeah absolutely get that the vibe of the odyssey but it really surprised me because honestly it's my favorite film adaptation of the odyssey i think it's the does the, the best at capturing the vibe well you know maintaining that coen brothers feel
0: yeah so how do you feel about ulysses everett mcgill as the odysseus uh adaptation
1: i love it i think that he is he has the arrogance of a Greek hero from a Greek epic. Like, he absolutely carries himself with that level of bravado and arrogance. And I, guy, just, it is, it's my favorite George Clooney performance by far. I think that he just absolutely crushes that role. And I I just love the, it, to me, it doesn't seem weird that somebody from Mississippi in that era would be named Ulysses. Like, it just doesn't seem... The, no, uh, not at all. I would, I'm glad they didn't go with Odysseus. That's just a step too far, probably. But yeah, I think it was, God, just a... A beautifully written and beautifully executed character, and I, I, his, his facial expressions and reactions just carry the movie comedically.
0: Yeah, and Clooney, I believe, is a Kentucky boy.
1: Yes, yeah, you're right. You're right. He is. A, so he's, you know, familiar with sort of the greater South.
0: Yeah, he's so good in it. Um, John Tarturo is just like completely unhinged in this movie.
1: <laughs> he is. He. His performances for the Coens are just another level. Like, that guy yeah. really, I love... He's good in everything I've ever seen him in, but, you know, his performance, of course, in The Big Lebowski, as brief as it is, is extremely memorable. And then this, he is, yeah, he's unhinged. He's His, his playing off of Clooney is always so funny. I just can't say enough good things about his performance in this movie.
0: Um, Yeah, one, well, so we might as well also mention the third in our trio, which is Tim Blake Nelson,
1: Yeah, who
0: is so... Charming, lo- lovable. I he's, guess.
1: Yeah, he's extremely lovable. Like, almost impossibly lovable. Like, just right from the first moment. And then you have Clooney. You know, obviously condescending to him all the time. It's just that was such a funny dynamic throughout the whole movie. But he is. I personally think that his performance is the best in the entire film. I think that he is. He is the heart of and soul of the movie.
0: Yeah, um, I was gonna say Delmar's kind of the heart. Um, I guess Everett is the brains, or at least wants to think he is, at least in, the, yeah. in insofar as he kind of, like, guides the action. And then, um, I guess, um, Pete, John Turturro's character, is more of, like, the brawn, because he's doing a lot of the, like, physical stuff for yeah. them. Even though he's, an, I mean, I was gonna say he's not physically imposing, but like we said, he is kind of unhinged and scary in that way.
1: <laughs> yes, he, he definitely just, like, puts you off all the time because you, you just never know when he's about to snap. You know he's going to snap at yeah. some point, and you just never know when it is. Quick side note about Tim Blake Nelson, that I also learned from the same, wherever it is I found out about this Coen Brothers thing, and not reading the Odyssey, is that of all the people in the movie, Tim Blake Nelson is the only person that had read it, because he got a degree in classics. So he's like...
0: A degree is- in yeah. classics, wow. Yeah,
1: from Brown University too, so like... not a, Wow, not a, no slouch. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So he they he was kind of their Odyssey expert on set all the time.
0: I love that. Especially the contrast between that and his character.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Elmer is just is sweet and lovable, but he is not yeah, he's not carrying the brains for the operation.
0: Yeah. Um, but going back to Pete real quick, I one of the first scenes when we get off the prison farm is going to Pete's relatives. Yes. Uh the hog wallops, right? Which <laughs> you know we get our um, super rural kind of dwelling that they live in and when I watched re the movie to prep for this discussion um, I noticed they had a bottle tree in their front yard tons of bottle trees down south a lot of stuff named after bottle trees there's a great little bakery in Oxford called bottle tree bakery Um, but they do have one in the front yard of Wash's home and I think also this is one of the this is the setting for one of the best encounters of this movie which is Wash's kid taking shots at them as they come oh, up yeah. the driveway
1: yeah uh, oh my god that had this the movie just the beginning of this movie it's just amazing from the first few minutes it just totally gets you into the setting totally gets you into this wild ride you're about to to go in but sorry continue your point about the, the shooting. oh ride. no
0: just, the only point was being one i mean it's hilarious
1: yeah it's a, and then
0: two it's indicative of the greater southern and or rural mistrust of the government <laughs> yes <laughs> Exactly. which is such an important point to make because he takes shots at them thinking they're maybe from the bank or either the, yes. the census people um, <laughs> so you know and that's something that again continues to this day because my lovely like law abiding Mississippi husband had great distrust for the police
1: <laughs> as any wise one should as wise
0: person I was gonna, but there's something genetic about it you know where right? you <laughs> it's it's
1: a deeply ingrained culture at this point yeah yeah absolutely
0: um so that's again that's fun that straight off they kind of i mean well also they're like running from the prison so maybe there's a family uh distrust of government (laughs) systems but god that's one of my favorite bits of this movie so let's see, we've got a great supporting cast also. Uh, we've got Steven Root. A
1: man who never fails to deliver on his role. S- as small as it may be, he always brings it.
0: Oh, uh, because he's the blind record store owner. And mm-hmm. then he's blind again when he's in Get Out. Oh, yes,
1: you're right. Yeah, you're
0: right. So kind of a weird typecasting there. But um, I-, I think he may be Southern too, because he's Bill in King of the Hill, yeah. M- yeah, most notably. Amazing, amazing performance there.
1: Bill, Let me, you me look up where he's from real quick. From Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> oh, okay, so.
0: <laughs> which I think is northern Florida,
1: so. It is, yeah, so, so I mean, you know, I, this is obviously pop-culturally based, but the, we're talking sort of the panhandle is, panhandle Florida is definitely part of the south, right?
0: Yeah, uh, the saying is the more north you go, the more south you get. <laughs> oh, that's that's For Florida, so. For
1: Florida, I like that. <laughs>
0: Uh but yeah, and then we've also so Stephen Root um shows up. We've got Minelaus Papio Daniel oh, who man. rules.
1: Yeah. Unbelievable.
0: His... <laughs> his
1: accent work in this is just I just love like there's a part of me that as soon as I see his character come on screen, I just want to talk like that. Like that's what I want my accent to be. Yeah. But I have I have to actively suppress that urge because obviously it would be a very poor imitation. <laughs>
0: But um, his his representation of the like southern upper class in this movie is so good. Well, yeah. like you said, a distinct accent. Yes. Um, from our like lower class uh, like con characters. Yeah. And then him and his entourage dressing in these like linens and like seersucker suits. Yeah. Oh my God. It's Just beautiful,
1: and they, you know they're all they all, you know, so many of the the rest of the characters are you know. These small, skinny people, but you have the largesse of these, you know, upper class characters. So right. these characters.
0: Yeah, him and his uh, two advisors and his son, <laughs> I guess, are <laughs> all kid. large gentlemen, yeah. all wearing pastels. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's, I guess, the background plot of this movie is that Papio Daniel running against the new candidate, um, Homer Stokes, who yeah. is the reform candidate. <laughs> um, get some of that reform. One, oh, one last supporting person i wanted to mention because you gotta
1: let's hear it
0: john goodman yeah
1: as the cyclops
0: as the cyclops he, which I, mean, I love that interpretation of the cyclops um, yeah
1: me too absolutely just uh that's that whole scene is just a such a wild ride is, is performed i mean you know a coen Brothers regular obviously Mm-hmm. I think his best performance is obviously in, in uh, Big Lebowski, but this guy, he just delivers so hard in this this performance.
0: He's always very scary for the Coens, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A very He's scary in Big Lebowski.
0: Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just
1: going to say an imposing unhingedness about him all the time.
0: Yeah, and they really kind of use his stature mm-hmm. in, in, like to the benefit of their script you know yeah
1: absolutely absolutely and he's of course always more more than willing to to take that on and just go go over the top with it
0: which there's there's such a dissonance for me with john goodman because of all his coen brother roles and then all his disney roles yes because he's sully monsters Inc. and he's pacha in emperor's new groove yeah and then he is uh, Walter and Big Lebowski, the Cyclops in this, and I. This is more recently I watched it. Barton Fink. He's okay. very
1: scary in. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very creepy, very scary role in that one, and just just such so menacing. All like as you're watching him, you feel yeah. you feel the menacing nature of him.
0: Yeah, a growing discomfort. Mm-hmm.
1: And then on, you know, one of his one of his biggest roles as well as is, is Dan Connor on uh, Roseanne, where he's you know sort of the lovable sitcom dad.
0: Right, which I guess would fall more in the Disney camp. Yeah. yeah Although exactly. disclaimer, I've never seen a second of Roseanne. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so. I mean, uh, listen, I do not, I do not blame you for one second. Really, no reason to to watch it, but uh, it it's fine for like a late '80s, early '90s sitcom. But yeah.
0: Sitcom, I guess, is not my go-to genre.
1: Yeah. That's
0: There's good. something about a laugh track that I just can't abide. <laughs> And there's plenty of lap track to be found. Oh, good! John Goodman is southern again, in Princess and the Frog too. Oh, I've not seen that movie. Still, is it- Courtney. I
1: know, I know, I know. This is. <laughs> I feel hurt pers- I personally
0: value. hurt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it, you know, it's it, so it's set in the in the the South. Where it's set in like Louisiana, right? So in it's New set. Orleans, yeah. Yeah, great southern representation here for for a Disney film, which is interesting, as you get these sort of pseudo european settings for the rest of their disney
0: films yeah so right i love it because it's kind of like uh an american fairy tale which we don't see a lot like you said then obviously i'm very partial to the southern setting of course but uh john goodman in that plays big daddy (laughs) who uh uh, is like a sugar baron or something anyways he's he's super good he's like the king of the mardi gras parade
1: okay well that god i'd love to see that gotta see it. it Love to see it live action, even. I mean, he got he's such a great performer.
0: Yeah, and to bring us back around to this movie, the Cyclops is like he's he's got an eye patch, so like when he yeah. shows up on screen, you're like, oh shit, oh, here, here we, we go. go. Yeah. yeah, and he um kind of like tries to scam them by giving them he invites them out of the restaurant to give them a talk, basically on how to yes. s- sell Bibles. Which I think is so interesting. He's a Bible salesman, yeah,
1: it's just a
0: it's it's of that
1: that that area, right? the geographic region, you know, it's of and of that moment. you're going to have a, a traveling Bible salesman.
0: and so you know, comments there also on like the willingness of people to. Like, be sold religion, or mm-hmm. you know, because obviously the Cyclops himself is not a like believer. Yes, we probably he does have a name. I keep calling the Cyclops because it's easier, yes. but it's Big Dan Teague. Big Dan, Teague. <laughs> Big Dan.
1: just another it's just like a, the Coens just have such skill at naming their characters, like, it just rolls off the tongue in, in such a southern way. Big Dan Teague, like, that's Teague. absolutely something you just see happening in the south.
0: Yeah. But yeah, he ends up obviously taking their money, kind of like killing the frog Pete. Oh, disgusting scene. And so gross. I hate frogs so much already. (laughs) And then uh, scarring Delmar for life, basically. Poor sweet Delmar, yeah. He's not ready for that end. And and Everett does not react until he himself gets hit with the tree branch.
1: (laughs) 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 It's a very strange moment.
0: Yeah, cuz Big Dan wax Delmar like knocks him out with a tree branch and ever just goes, "I don't understand, Big Dan." <laughs> <laughs> oh. So good.
1: Yeah, what an amazing show. I guess
0: one thing I kind of want to talk about cuz we we've, we've talked about some of the ways in which they like nail the southern like setting. Yeah. Um I want to talk about like the broader like themes of this movie. Okay. And how they've like adapt how the Coens adapted the story of Odysseus to this southern setting, and like what shines because of that choice. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, so I one of the things I guess I wanted to start with is um, the driving time frame of the movie is because they're about to flood the little river valley that Everett's house is in to make. I guess, a dam to, like, generate electricity. Yeah,
1: they're going to do a hydroelectric plant there, right?
0: Yes, right. And so that leads to a lot of cool dialogue about, um, you know, we're all going to be hooked up to a grid and kind of, like, (laughs) what the... Introduction of this technology is going to do for the South, and so I wrote down a quote from Everett towards the end. He says, "The South is going to change, and it's going to usher in an age of reason, and like the one they had in France." <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> i'm sorry, just how he reads that line is very good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely just a Um, fine fine moment but yeah so this idea of like the introduction of this new kind of technological wave to the rural south is some is an undercurrent through this whole movie because it's driving the action
1: yes absolutely i i i always this thought always lingers with me when he says you know when he talks about you know it's going to usher in this new age for the south i think you know the obvious point that he could be making there is that you know so many people think the south has just Stayed the same, like you know, the more the South ages, the more it stays the same down there. But but I think the Cohen brothers, you know, belief on it or thoughts on it are probably much more nuanced than that. But you know, this is the South is you know a growing progressive place. It's a place of uh, diversity. There's so many cultures mixing together down there and coming together. That I think it's it's more about how. You know, we should see how much the South has changed because there's such a cultural belief that the South is stagnant. It's behind the times that it takes a long time for them to catch up to the rest of the country.
0: Yeah, and I wonder if that's what they're doing. I mean, you know, they're building up all these characters throughout the film before the introduction of this, like, dam, which is shown as more of a destructive thing. Mm -hmm. Because it, you know, destroys his, like, not childhood home, but his, his home that he had made with his wife. Yeah. And kind of floods the valley and causes, like, mass chaos. Yeah, exactly. Although it does also save them from the noose. It's kind of the deus ex machina... Yes. That spares their lives. So, like you said, that, seems complicated. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: it's a uh, as as always with the Coen's, you can there's so many different layers to, to try and examine to figure out, you know, what exactly is going on here.
0: Yeah, but the idea of like major change hitting the South through this technology is really interesting to me.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Of course, this is also one of the big hinges of a lot of Southern writing from the 20th century. Um, so Faulkner, but also, I'm thinking more specifically, Eudora Welty. Okay. Um, she's got a short story about a traveling salesman. It's called Death of a Traveling Salesman. Oh, man. So eat your heart out, Arthur Miller. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, you know, I'll, I believe it's been some time since I read it. Technology in this story is kind of an antagonist. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of anxiety in Welty's stories about, like, mm-hmm the introduction of, like, things like cars. Southern writers are thinking about this, especially in the time in which O Brother Wartha was set. Yeah, I have no doubt that the
1: Cohens looked very carefully at precisely when to set this, this film.
0: One other interesting thing they do with that is when Everett and Penny, like, end up together. They're, like, walking through the street. Mm-hmm. Towards the end of the film, there's a big, um, cool, power and light, uh, like, mural behind their heads as they're walking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So the, again, I think that's framing technology as a good thing with, you know, power and light behind our the happy couple yeah. or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because like change is coming regardless of how you feel about it, I guess. Yeah. This is one of the movies that I've been wanting to talk
1: about. Oh, yeah. I, as soon as you told me about your podcast in Mississippi, this is the first movie that came to mind.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: Uh, after which came A Time to Kill, my uh, my second
0: favorite Mississippi movie. Both of which are filmed in Canton, Mississippi. Oh, are they really filming the same? That's excellent. Actually, all of this movie, and props to the cones again, all this movie except for one scene filmed in Mississippi. Really? Yeah, and the one scene they were not comfortable filming in Mississippi was the Klan rally.
1: I was just going to ask if it was the Klan rally, because that would be... I can understand their hesitation there. I can yeah. absolutely...
0: Yeah, there's something super, super schemy about staging a yes. clan rally, no matter how fake, in the backwoods of Mississippi. <laughs> absolutely, yeah,
1: absolutely. I can, I can understand. Where did do you know where they filmed that? Scene? In California. Oh, they filmed that one in California. Okay. Yeah, that just
0: is- totally removed from the American South. Yeah, and
1: I, uh, I filming any any clan scene, you know, anywhere, I, I would imagine is probably a pretty, pretty rough. But again, yeah. I get I'd be wanting to do it in Mississippi. Yeah,
0: because in California, if you set it on like a lot somewhere in Hollywood, it's very obviously fake. Yeah. You know, yeah. no one's getting traumatized, hopefully.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would hope so. I remember that scene being very scary as a kid. It's very it's very intense, and it's just very, you know, you're, you're on the edge of your seat the whole time. It's, obvi- you know, obviously all the imagery – should shake any sane person to their core that you know you're seeing this in action
0: because you got the burning crosses you've got the very scary song about death
1: yeah absolutely and this uh, you know that with you know the pure white of all the clan members but the the guy up there in the red robes it's just adds this it's a very mysterious and creepy look the the yeah
0: yeah i what what would he be the
1: the Grand, Grand
0: Wizard, the Dragon, the Claxen. Their yeah. the names are whack.
1: They are unbelievable these names, sorry. They just I can't don't <laughs> have enough terrible things to say about the clan, but my god.
0: I mean, spoilies, not really. But it's Homer Stokes who's like leading the clan yes. rally.
1: Exactly. Um so you're a your reform candidate here. In yeah, your
0: reform candidate.
1: It's another old Southern boy from the 1800s essentially.
0: Yeah. But he gets run out of town on a rail after yep. uh, not Literally. supporting the soggy bottom boys. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> what brings everybody together,
1: of course, the love of music.
0: I guess takeaway being that like Papio Daniel, despite being the incumbent, doesn't mind supporting this integrated yes. musical number, um, which it seems pretty clear he's doing it for his political gain. He's not like any believer in. Yeah, uh racial equality. Yeah. I think it's like like the power and light thing, it's the suggestion that the South is changing.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Because the crowd loves the Soggy Bottom boys. Pappy decides to support them and even gives them political power.
1: He does their brain trust. Yes. The
0: brain trust. Um so yeah, it's interesting that it seems like the will of the people at the end of the movie is to move forward
1: absolutely as to as to accept this integrated south
0: yeah they openly reject the racist kkk candidate who Mm -hmm. at the who says to them you know he says i'm a member of a certain secret society i don't believe i need to you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) the thing one of the things I, i truly love about that scene is you said you know pappy's doing it for his own his own ends but i think Everyone, in all the constituents, everybody in that room, fully knows why Pappy's doing it. Like they, he's such a transparently ambitious, greedy character. It, it almost makes him more likable to me that he's just like so transparently doing it for his own ends.
0: Yeah. Weirdly, he's not really an antagonist in this movie. Yeah.
1: I, which I fully expected him to be. My
0: uh, the first time I saw it, I was like, Yeah. Be the villain here. He's just kind of working in the background. Yeah. Until he kind of comes to, like, pardon them and, like, save them, basically.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which
0: ultimately does not work.
1: Yeah, the pardon doesn't mean anything to the, well, to Satan, I guess, is who that character is, sort of.
0: Yeah, and he's so spooky. Can you elaborate a little bit more on this, like, interpretation of the devil in this movie? Uh, So, so, I mean, of
1: course, I call him Satan because he sounds like the devil that, that Tommy spoke to from his story right he's you know pale pale skin he's got no eyes and this guy's always wearing the black sunglasses so he's, he's very present all the time while almost being on screen none of the time like he has so little screen time in this movie but you can feel his presence you know keeping this this idea alive throughout the whole film that these people did run away from prison and they are being hunted down because you kind of forget about that right that you know yeah. up on their own adventures kind of and you sort of forget every occasionally that these guys are being hunted still.
0: Yeah, because he, he's basically on their heels the whole movie. Yeah. A couple times the hound dogs get near enough that they have to run.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: He's always he's a constant threat, which yes. is so interesting.
1: And it is I mean, you know, certain Christian themes and ideas there of like, you know, this the Satan is a is always near. Satan's always nipping at your heels.
0: Prowls like a lion. It's okay, first Peter five, eight. I just looked mm-hmm. it up. But the NIV is: Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Oh my goodness! That is some that is some evocative imagery there. I know, but you know, the the ever-present prowling hunter is yeah. definitely is, the is mood.
1: A, yeah. Absolutely, and yeah, it is just uh, it's the just the beauty of the of the Cohen's writing, of course, that you know you get this description of the devil earlier by Tommy. And you might not even make that connection really with this other character, but if you want to look hard enough, it is there, they did make sure to, you know, keep that character similar to Tommy's description of Satan.
0: Yeah, which is a white guy with dark sunglasses of uh, coon hound, basically tracking dog. Yeah. Yeah, the moment where he's got the like fire reflected in his glasses Mm. before he is about to hang the trio. That's beautiful. And his line that the law is a human institution <laughs> is kind of the moment where, as a viewer, you're like, "Oh shit," you know. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I don't know. It's, you know, super interesting that they chose to represent the devil in this way as like yeah. a, a white man whose job is to like track down the prisoners, and then obviously the use of the dog to me has. Has um, implications of like slave catchers.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know I
0: mean, there's a very like racial element to this depiction of the devil. Yeah, I can. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't. I mean, never thought of that, but you're
1: absolutely right. That is absolutely a, a parallel that you could easily make there. You know, it's interesting
0: because it's like, as the antagonist, he represents maybe the old South, yes. in a way, like you know, old institutions trying to like catch the trio and like pull them back.
1: I absolutely think that's a great point, that it could be this lingering old South still in the air.
0: Okay, one other note I have. I think Pete says it to wash. I just have, in quotes, unreconstructed son of a whore. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a beautiful but I I just, that is.
0: The phrase unreconstructed. Is maybe the funniest thing I've ever heard.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's just that's beautiful. That's beautiful.
0: Well, yeah, you know, and I think it uh, it speaks to this maybe central theme of the movie, which is change.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, the you end with that idea. You know, the the South is a change. You get this mm-hmm. new hydroelectric dam and all in the grid. Yeah, it's absolutely it's changed.
0: Oh, we didn't really give a uh, shout out to Holly Hunter in this film. Yes, playing
1: the the uh, Penelope here, you know, to uh, to Everett's Ulysses.
0: And she's the leading lady of my favorite movie period, but my favorite Cohen also, which is Raising Arizona.
1: Yeah, she and she is uh, a little bit of a sidetrack here, but she really has such an interesting career because she was such a huge leading lady for so long and then kind of moved into side roles a little bit you know this compared to her '80s output this role seems a little small for her but an incredible job with it though i mean she's her scenes with everett are, are just so funny they are just excellent
0: the scene in the woolsworth oh, is one of I the best
1: wolf. yeah that is an absolute gem of the scene in their their fight scene with her suitor is oh my god that's vernon amazing. t Waldrup. vernon t waldrop yeah that makes me laugh so hard every single time that he just you know you got Clooney's bizarre fighting stance that he takes as he's serving right around.
0: because you know also it's just so characteristic of everett which is he thinks he knows how to fight
1: yeah of course yeah he thinks he's he thinks he's smart enough to to know how to fight and it's
0: proven to be so bad
1: at it, it yeah as, as he is with pretty much everything except uh greasing up his hair his hair treatment uh yes. every time
0: oh th- yeah so the only ladies are Penny, and then the very sexy sirens the
1: very sexy sirens yes i i once uh, read a story about this where uh or timothy blake nelson did act like he said the siren that he was interacting with made, actually made him blush like he was, he was <laughs> certainly just like oh, oh dear this is really going over the top here
0: I remember that scene so vividly as a child, maybe because I now know I'm attracted to ladies, but also <laughs> <laughs> but also because they have such a spooky sexuality.
1: They, they, they're they, creepy. They, they're creepy in that the song is just so beautiful, but extremely haunting. Yeah. Harmony that they're dropping on us there.
0: The lead one looks so intense.
1: Yeah. And they're trying to speak to them, but like, you know, these sirens just keep singing. Yeah. to drink and yeah it's a it's a very odd and creepy scene but i also was quite taken with with some of the sirens so
0: (laughs) the one scene in the alto part yeah you get it i get it (laughs) it. oh speaking of the music in this movie it's so good
1: it's i think that this is honestly the movie's longest enduring legacy is that this like really was on the, the the forefront of this Bluegrass revival movement that comes about. Yes. It's really, oh, the music is incredible in this movie.
0: The soundtrack album won the CMT yeah. Album of the Year award. It's really? Wow. Yes. It's, wow. And it's a soundtrack. That's unbelievable. And I, I believe Man of Constant Sorrow was like on the radio and stuff. Yeah, it, it definitely was. You
1: still hear it on the radio around here on, from time to time. And it, oh. It's just, <laughs> it's just an incredible song. Like, I. It's one of my all-time favorite songs after seeing this movie. This is, a, and it is actually the music that got me introduced to this movie because my dad is a, is a big fan of the style. And so he said, you know, I watched this movie. You got to watch this movie. The music is so great. So we watched it together and uh, oh, no looking back after that. Yeah. It was incredible.
0: The soundtrack bridged the gap between like old style country and like bluegrass and stuff and then kind of a newer audience
1: yeah exactly i really kind of because you have like uh like alison kraus and people who became pretty popular after that really bringing this music to life for a new uh, for a new generation so what what's your what's your favorite song of, of the songs in the movie
0: hmm probably "I'll fly away one of my all-time favorite hymns
1: yeah i like it cool. a lot yeah beautiful song i'm gonna discount man of constant sorrow as that's of course the obvious answer but i think uh, for me it's got to be don't really know the, the name of the song but the one that the sirens sing you know you and me and the devil make three yeah it's oh wow, that song it gets me every it just gets stuck in my head every time I, I see that scene
0: i do also really like the fiddle and like yodeling song oh yeah the, that they uh, march babyface through town yeah,
1: with i, I was just, just gonna say that's the, that's an incredible little tune that they're doing there
0: any any closing thoughts
1: yeah, I'll say that this is this is absolutely my favorite movie set in Mississippi. I think it's my favorite movie set in the South in general. Ooh. And it's also my favorite movie set during the Great Depression. So I mean it's got it checks a lot of a lot of boxes, but it's a three it a, a threefer and it is an it's an all time great. I mean I, I of course everybody's tastes are different, but how you could watch this movie and not just fall in love with the the incredibly lovable characters. And the, just the perfect dialogue and overall incredible soundtrack. I mean, it's one of the all-time great soundtracks.
0: Yeah, I love this movie, obviously. I am very appreciative of the Coen's, like, loving approach to Mississippi in this movie. Yes. And that's not to say uncritical.
1: Absolutely. Just Absolutely.
0: compassionate.
1: Yes, which is something that you don't get a lot. And honestly, it's something you don't get with rural America, right? I think that rurality, when depicted in, in American pop culture, is often seen as you know, a place that should be scary and is scary. And I think, it, yeah, the Cohens certainly did not give it that look.
0: The other film we've talked about on this podcast is A Time to Kill, which is obviously centered on like racial violence and that kind of thing. And obviously those stories need to be told. But also having a movie set in Mississippi that isn't about the atrocities of history is also nice. Mississippi as a setting has more to offer than just
1: racial violence and Yeah. You know, the troubled history that it has. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Which again, I can't say enough. We should talk about those things. We
1: absolutely should make movies about that. But as you said, these places are diverse. They have a diverse history. They have a diverse story. To, there are many stories to tell. So yeah, you should try and tell as many as you can.
0: Yeah. So to have Mississippi in this film be a setting for like, adventure and like Mm -hmm. hijinks um is is a welcome change of pace i think there is another cohen movie set in mississippi was the tom hanks one set there yes the lady
1: killers lady killers that's it yes
0: yeah maybe we'll do that on the podcast at a later time but they revisit mississippi as a setting
1: leave it to the cohen to give mississippi some of the state's best looks overall i would say for sure well, thanks for joining me and talking about, you know, our beloved Coen's and our beloved old brother. Thank you so much for having me. I feel honored as I get to come on here and praise Mississippi a little bit. As yeah. I know how near and dear it is to your heart. Uh, just, I fucking love this movie so much. It's, it's so, so good. good. <laughs>
0: Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to the soft reboot of From Mississippi with Love. Special thanks to my guest, Courtney Arnold, for talking about Oh Brother, Where with us. Thanks, as always, to the lovely folks at the Holy Ghost Electric Show for letting me use their song, Let the Waters Rise, for the intro and outro of the pod, off of the album The Great American Holy Ghost Electric Show. If you want to keep up with the podcast on Twitter, you can do so at Mississippi underscore pod, or send us an email at MississippiPod at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next time.